Okay. All right, friends. So we're back again. This time with something special. Yes. This, cheers. Cheers. I can't drink it yet. No, it's far too hot. But we are spilling the tea. This is our new Wine About It playlist. Yes. Question mark? Series? Question mark? Season? Yes. There it is. Yeah. Season called Spillin' the Tea. And we're definitely gonna. And we already have. Yes, all over the floor. So we got started before we even started. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Great. But so the first episode is very exciting because we actually asked mm -hmm. on Instagram what topics people wanted us to talk about. Yeah. And one of them that got the most, by far, the most like little votes mm -hmm. was what is your therapist really thinking? <laughs> Which is, I'm ready for it. Yes, me too. So I'm ready to spill the tea. Yes. So if you have never listened to one of our podcasts before, I am Samantha Courtney. And I'm Miria Noel. And we are with TNC Workshops, the Nurture Center, and we have a wellness education company. Yes, we do. So the reason this is going to be so fun and interesting is because, Miria, talk a little bit about your background so that everyone understands why you are the one that's going to spill the tea on what it's like behind the scenes of being in the therapist chair. Yes. So I have a bachelor's degree in counseling psychology and a master's degree degree in clinical mental health counseling and to achieve those degrees i've had to do thousands of hours of internship work and therapy one-on-one -on -one in group settings and all of the fun stuff um, so i have been in that chair in the therapist chair um, so i have some tea to spill i can't wait so let's dive in yes. so for my background, so I do not have a degree within the field of counseling or psychology or therapy. So this is so interesting for me because like probably the majority of you, I'm just coming as someone who has gone to therapy before. So when I was getting divorced, that was my first experience going to therapy. Mm -hmm. um, so what my expectations were going in and then what therapy actually looked like for me was like, very different mm -hmm. and I didn't know until I started talking to you about it that like my expectations and my thoughts of what therapy would look like and our relationship with a therapist would look like was like way off <laughs> like way off mm -hmm. so what I thought going into it was that I'm gonna bring all of my problems mm -hmm. to this therapist and they are going to therapize by telling me everything I have to do to make my life amazing. And I'm going to feel so much better. Mm -hmm. Every week I'm going to be like, this is what's going on. I'm not happy. And they're going to be like, do this. And then I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. And it did not go like that at all. Um, I'm not shocked. <laughs> no, no. And it, honestly, it wasn't a bad thing because mm -hmm. I realized eventually like it was a lot about the personal growth and all the personal work I had to do and right. what I loved about going to therapy and why I continued going for so long even after I was outside of that like sort of trauma time or like vortex or whatever um, was that I really enjoyed the feelings of being validated having someone to be able to process things with mm -hmm. and someone that would ask me really good questions that get me thinking 
but that's not what I thought going into it. So I'm really interested to know from the other side, what is therapy meant to do? So it's meant to be what you described your experience was. Okay. It's not, you don't go into it or we don't go into it saying, I know what to do. I'm going to give you this advice and you're going to follow through and your life is going to be perfect because we get sued a lot. <laughs> a lot <laughs> like more. So much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when you're in school and you're, that's, you know, what you're going for, you're going for counseling specifically because it's not psychology in the sense of doing a lot of research or, um, you know, making new methods or anything like that. If you're going for counseling, you're going to be a therapist, not a researcher, not the science behind Okay, the that's brain. really interesting. So I went to, so both my degrees are in counseling. I wanted to be a therapist, shocker. And they really drill into that you are not there to give advice. Okay. Like, do not do it. Like, the first rule is do no harm, but the second rule is do not give any advice. <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy, because that's all I thought it would be. And a lot of people do. A lot, I had a lot of people come to therapy for the first time, and they're like, well, why can't you just tell me what to do? Right. Don't you have the answers? And I'm like, the yeah. DSM doesn't have your answers. They have all of your problems. Okay. Just list it out. And what's DSM? So the Diagnostic Statistic Manual. So that's where all of your uh, diagnoses are. Okay. And that's how we have to um, diagnose you. So it has to be either from the DSM or the ICD, okay. code-wise, for insurance to pay us. Okay. So if somebody comes in, I'm yes. going to pause for a second. Put yep. a pin in it. Mm -hmm. So if somebody comes in and sits with you... If they are not using their insurance and paying out of pocket, do you still have to find a diagnosis? Not right away. Okay, you can take more time. Yep. It's more lenient if you are doing private pay because there's no real reason to rush it. Okay. Um, but insurance companies, most of them, all of them, require a okay. diagnosis first session. Okay. Like intake. Wow. Uh, which is so why I don't even like know somebody no, yet. No, you have all of like the questions that you ask them and they answer. So you'll have um, at a place that I did an internship, we found out like their ACE score, which is like childhood trauma that they've faced. Okay. Um, if they like what their presenting problem is and like why they're coming to therapy or like, you know, so a little bit of background about them, but very minimal like for you only have an hour <laughs> right um and so you have to come up with based off of like they're presenting from like what they're telling you they're coming in for basically is how you form your diagnosis and you don't have to stick to that diagnosis it can change okay um you're allowed to do that just as long as there is one because that's how you get paid okay um the insurance companies but private pay is obviously a little bit different and that's really where the money is anyway <laughs> Um, but yeah, so people would come in with the con preconception that I would have all the answers mm -hmm. and fix all of their problems. And I would have to really break it down and be like, it might get a little bit worse before it gets better. 
Yeah. Which a lot of people don't enjoy. No, it doesn't feel great to hear that, especially when things feel like the worst. Right. And you're like, the issue is, though, a lot of people don't know why it feels like the worst. Mm -hmm. That's it. And in order to get better, it's kind of like having a wound on your body that kind of like scars over, but it's still infected and you kind of re open it up again. Yeah. Clean it all out. That's what therapy is. So I'm not discouraging anybody, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> still go. Still enjoy every second of it. But, but it actually makes a lot of sense because it's not it's not going to get better. So even if you don't peel that scab off to put the ointment in, it's not like it's gonna magically get better on its own. So yeah, it's gonna hurt or it's gonna be uncomfortable, but the opposite side of that is the healing that's gonna come from it. It's like the recovery from surgery is usually right. worse than like the surgery itself. Yeah. And that's, that's just where we come in. Right. Which is kind of funny because when you see therapy done on TV shows and in the movies, right. it looks totally different. Like their problems are all solved. Yeah. They're and, laying down on a couch. Yes. Very Freudian. And we've come a long way in that. There is a rapport that you build. There's a relationship that you build. You want to establish trust because people we've found don't tend to open up unless they trust you. Yeah. Um, and some people are easier to build that relationship with. And some people are just, they've got those walls up. Right. And they just want you to fix that problem. Not all of the other stuff that's yeah. impacting that problem. Yeah. Just that one thing. Right. So it's a process. And like I would always tell people, it's a process. <laughs> it will not feel better. It There's no band-aid that's going to fix this. Mm -hmm. Especially if it's coming from a place of trauma or, you know, a, a long period of time of anxiety and just feeling absolutely horrible yeah. for years. And some people it does take years for them to be okay with the fact that they might need extra assistance to like solve some issues right um and that's generationally too we've been taught a lot of the time to not want to go to therapy or not use medications and not not admit that there's a, yes. like a psychological problem luckily now it's a little bit better it's still not where i'd like it to be yeah but it is a little bit more common for people to say, you know, oh, I have to, I have therapy appointment. And it's not yes. as, like, shocking. Like, oh, my goodness. Scandal. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's it's interesting to see, like, the seasoned therapy goers mm -hmm. versus, like, the, the newbies. Because I had people that had been going to therapy for a long, long time. And it was, they were, like, super fine with it being, you know... A slow process they they're very familiar with what it meant to like be seen by a therapist yeah um and then you would have people that were just like i'm just feeling very anxious and i'm like okay tell me more what else <laughs> <laughs> and they'd be like no i'm just feeling anxious and see that's the that's the thing that people think is like you come in and then you say I'm just feeling really anxious and I'm like great here's what we can do right 
And like there are coping skills that you can implement pretty much day one with like breathing exercises and grounding exercises, like the little things. But the meat of it <laughs> is like down the road a bit. So you might be like, oh, I'm super, super anxious. And I might ask you like, how much caffeine do you have a day? And lowering that might make it feel a little bit better, but it's not gonna take it away. It's right. just gonna relieve some of it. So like there are little things that will work at first, but you have to get to a place where a person trusts you okay. enough to open up. Well, so that's my next question. So when you talk about trust in a counselor client, would you say client? Mm -hmm. Relationship. So when I think about trusting relationships as like a lay person, right? I think of like our friendship mm -hmm. and that's a very like give and take. Like I share a little and you share a little. And then as we continue to share together, we build this trust and then we share more, we go deeper, we're more comfortable and safe with each other. So how does, cause my perception is that a therapist there or a counselor, their role is not to share anything personal about themselves. So how do you develop a trusting relationship between a therapist and a client without the therapist sharing anything personal? So self-disclosure is a big topic for okay. a therapist and like how much to disclose, how much is it worth it? Is it helping the client? Is what you're sharing an appropriate thing to share? Because there are therapists that will share more than others. Oh, okay. But it's usually not, like if you have a therapist that's using the whole time to talk about themselves, find a new one. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Because that's not what they're there for. Right. Um, but saying like little things, I've had clients ask me questions because, and I wouldn't lie. I wouldn't be like, that's not appropriate for me to answer unless it really was an inappropriate question. Okay. Which has happened and then that's even more awkward. <laughs> but I've had, I've had clients ask me if I'm religious because religion okay. is a big part of their life. So, and I answer very honestly, but I, and I make sure to, that I give them the reassurance that I do understand, although I might not be religious, I understand the place religion has in a lot of people's healing. Okay. And the space that it holds for many people. Right. Um, so validating is a big one. It's all about body language, mimicking people, huge. Okay, so wait, so unpack that for a minute. So what does mimicking look like? So you know how you just cross your legs? Yes. So that would be like, once you start talking to me, I'll cross my legs. Oh, because so this would be a gesture of comfort or the opposite. Right. So if you're talking to me and you cross your leg and I do the same thing and you start to open up and I lean in and I'm interested in what you're saying, it's the eye contact. It's me showing you that I'm only here for what you have to say. Wow. Okay. Like you have my 100% attention and I am here for you. Okay. And like that's how you like start to feel more comfortable. Like this is your space, not my space, your space. Okay. And like really reiterating that like feedback and there's a way of talking and like, um, so if you're telling me something, I'll say it back to you in a different way. Okay. To show like I'm listening 
I like I can understand or I'll ask you clarifying questions and then once you come back and we have a couple sessions under our belt mm -hmm. I'll ask you oh how did that go I know you had to you know see somebody that you were really not looking forward to seeing tell me about that okay and you remember certain things and like that establishes that bond without me having to share anything about myself well wow, it's so funny because like in a just person-to-person -person dynamic that could be really seen as like manipulative or inauthentic but it's interesting it's almost like your hands are tied around your back mm -hmm. because you're in not just a, a typical you know person-to-person -person relationship you're in a counseling position yes so and to have sort of one tool taken away from you which is to share and have that collaboration so it's almost like a person who has a deficit in hearing and then their vision becomes um, really, really excellent and mm -hmm. hyper-crystallized. It's almost like that in a way that like you can't personally divulge a lot. So instead, you're using a physicality and other types of options to create that. It's actually really interesting if you think about it that way. It's super interesting. And what's even more interesting is that it works. Yeah. Is that there were clients that knew nothing about me. Cause they never asked and I never shared. Right. Cause I'm a, I use the rule of thumb is that if you ask me and it's an appropriate question, I will answer you honestly, but I'm not just going to willy nilly. <laughs> yeah. Self disclose. Okay. Um, that's just how I, it's just how I roll. Um, just, but establishing that trust and that bond, cause you have to have rapport too. So you're not just going to sit there and like stare at them and like, yes, sounds horrible oh I totally agree you know right you're not gonna do that but I used a lot of humor you know we would joke and you know bring my actual personality into the session yeah as opposed to getting on that human level of like sharing sharing so yeah so it's not the story but it's still the person right because and that's the thing is like if you're not authentically you no matter what skills you have no matter how long you've trained no matter where you've trained right Somebody's gonna smell that and be like, not you. Yeah, wall right up. So like you do have to have a certain element of like who you are. Yeah. And that's why everybody's therapist is different. That's why not everybody needs the same type of therapy. Mm -hmm. And that's also why like, if you're not somebody's cup of tea, that's okay. Yeah. Cause that's, it's just people. So that, that makes me wonder. So. So if you go and you look online to research the right therapist for you, you see things on there like family counseling or couples counseling or addiction special, you know, specializes in addiction. And those things are like self-explanatory, self-explanatory. So I can go on there with a vague idea of what my needs are. You know, if I'm having a couple's issue, I can find that and be like, okay, well, this person's a couple's counseling or a family issue. But now, one of the first things you told me when we started talking more about your background was about the humanist um, the approach. Yeah. yeah, and I've never heard of that uh, as just a person who's from you know my perspective. Mm -hmm. So if that was up on there as an option, you know, a humanist, what do we call it, a humanist approach? You have a humanistic approach. Okay. Um, so if that was on there, I'd be like, I don't know what that means. So, so what are the options? 
Are there a lot? Is that a stupid it's question? It's like ordering a pizza. Yeah. Uh, okay, so tell me, tell me a little bit about what that means for you specifically, and then if a person is looking for a therapist, does that matter? So normally, if you're on like psychology today, and you're yeah. like, I, I'm having really bad anxiety, or you know, I'm just going through a lot, like a really depressed time of my life. I'm okay. just, I feel really depressed. I would look for somebody that specializes, like if it were me, knowing what I know, I would look for somebody that specializes in anxiety or depression. And normally you go for the problem at hand. The style is different than what they specialize in. Oh, okay. So a humanistic approach is their style. style. Okay. So you have like psychotherapy, you have humanistic approach, you have person-centered, solution-focused, CBT, DBT, and a million others, like okay. trauma-focused. So how much is on the client, the regular person, to learn about different therapy styles to find the right therapist for them, as opposed to just putting themselves out there, getting into a therapy situation, and then allowing that first intake that first therapist to work with them and to guide them so it's it's on both the therapist and the client because sometimes the client will be like this is the best thing ever i'm getting so much and the therapist is like i'm not helping you at all wow and we're not a good fit oh that has to be so hard breaking up with a client is very hard <laughs> <laughs> for any reason right so it's on both. And if you think that your client would do really well in with an approach that you don't really know how to do or you're not, you can know how to do it, but you're not like great at it or fully trained in it. Right. Like there's a level, there's a difference between like competent and competent. Mm. So like if you're not competent in a therapy that you think that your client could really benefit from, I would suggest going to somebody that knows how to do it well and would help them because right. it's not about me and my feelings and me losing a client. It's about them getting better. Right. And granted, not every therapist is going to think like that. And some people don't and they're not thinking the same way that I would be thinking about it. But that was always my motto. Like, if I'm not a good fit and you're not feeling it, you're not hurting my feelings. I want you to get the help that you need. And if it's not me, then we'll find you somebody else. Yeah. So it's on both parties to feel out if this is helping. And if it's not, then talking about it. Right. And that's part of the process. It's like, those things have to be talked about. As awkward as they are, Yeah. they have to be brought up and be like, you know what? I've been feeling like, you're not really getting a lot out of this. How, how are you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And that's the discussion. And maybe I'm blind to how much it's actually helping you. And I can't see it within the session, but when you go outside of our sessions, it's changed everything. Right. And that's a discussion that like, oh, okay, well, if this is working for you and you want to stay, then great. Right. Um, so yeah, I think it's on both parties to understand and talk about it because that's really also a big part of it is like if you're feeling any kind of way bring it to the session 
Okay. And ask about it. And you don't have to be like flat out like, hey, I don't like working with you. (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) what are your thoughts? But like you would bring it up and be like, I just want to make sure that I am doing the best that I can to help you with whatever your issue might be. Right. And I want some, I want to make sure that that's what's happening. So why don't we get some feedback? So like, it's, it's interesting. People are interesting. Oh, they sure are. So, and then there are other people that would absolutely hate having that conversation. (laughs) So, but you get to know your client just Mm -hmm. as much as they don't really get to know you. You get to know very intimate details about your client. So you do know them pretty well, even Mm -hmm. after only a couple sessions, if like you've established good enough rapport and they feel comfortable with you, people start to slowly peel back the layers. And it also depends on how desperate they are for your help. That's really interesting. I feel like I have a better idea now of like the role it plays. Like if you're looking for therapy, it can benefit you and get you to your goals quicker to have an understanding of different approach styles so you can help yourself navigate. but at the same time, trusting that the person, the, the therapist that you're working with is also there to help guide that journey because we only know what we know. We don't know all the stuff we don't know, obviously. Yes. But I have another question. So it's kind of like a retention question because I think for a lot of us, we go to therapy during times that are can be very traumatic or volatile or like lows in life. Yep. And You already know where I'm going with this? I think so. Yeah. (laughs) And then you sort of, you put a lot of the tools into practice. Things calm down. Like, like in my personal situation, the divorce is settled. We move further out of that time period. Like, you know, the dust starts to settle. We're feeling more confident. We're feeling better. And um, also, the insurance runs out for sessions. So... I stopped going to therapy, as I think is a situation for a lot of people. Um, or you move, or something happens yeah. where you discontinue Life therapy. Happens. Yeah. Life happens. So then, if there's a long break, and a person is then reinterested, you know, I'm whether it's because you've hit another low or another rough past, or you're just seeking that again. Um, I know for myself, I'm sort of at that stage where things aren't bad by any means, but I want. Um, another person to help me find access to other tools, you know, because I'm in a much better place, but I'm still having issues with anxiety. So what more can I do? What other places have I not unpacked? So what stops me is I don't want to have to reshare my story all over again. I don't want to rip off those scabs because I've already given all of that the first time to the one therapist and now that, that therapist is not covered by my insurance or they're not accepting any new clients, which is a huge problem because there's such a shortage right now. Yes. So the idea of finding another therapist and then having to go through that intake all over again, I think stops a lot of us from seeking therapy again. Yeah. So what from your side, from the other side of that coin, how do you see retention rates and 
what advice would you give to people to get back into it? Mm. It's a tough one because I do understand not wanting to like rehash everything that you've gone through. And I think that that's, if you left your previous therapist because you, the dust settled, you felt confident in your ability to continue without them, and they did too, then you left in a good place. I don't think you have to start over because there are other things that are coming up now that maybe you didn't even touch on last time. So starting over doesn't really help you. Okay. And there are some therapists that don't care about what you've gone through. They are only interested in that here and now. That what's going on, what is your presenting problem, and how do we fix that? Mm -hmm. They don't want to hear about your whole life story. Oh, they don't see, want that's any a misconception. I assumed I'd have to go through weeks of telling you everything all over again. No, there are some therapists that practice more solution focus, which is just here and now, the present moment, what's going on right now? How can we fix the right now? Okay. So they wouldn't want to know all of the other stuff. Like they might want to know like some like highlight reels, but other than that, they're good just understanding what's going on right now. So for somebody that's like, I don't want to repeat my whole story, right. but I really do feel like I could benefit from therapy right now. I think the important thing to do as a client to be is understand why you don't want to retell your story. I was afraid you were going to say that. I know it's the worst, <laughs> but go on, but really check in and be like, why don't I want to go there? Mm -hmm. Cause most likely there's something in there that you didn't work on last time mm -hmm. and you don't want to talk about it because you don't want that to come up. Right. And if that's not the case and you're just like, I'm just tired of saying it over and over again to new people, which I've had before too. Yeah. That's a part of it. And you're just like, I just don't want to. Then I would advise you to contact your old therapist and sign a release of information to your new therapist so okay. they can share notes and they can read about all of your things prior oh. to your appointment. Okay. And then they can ask you if they're missing anything. Uh, okay, that's actually really good advice. Because that's what I would do. Um, mm -hmm. But you always can sign a release of information for your note. As an mm -hmm. adult, you are you at any time can ask your therapist for their notes on you. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, you are fully, you have full access to their notes. Huh. I don't know huh. if you want them. No, I definitely wouldn't. <laughs> but it, at any time as a client, you can ask for a copy of your therapy notes. Okay. Um, for whatever reason. But you will have to sign a release of information in order for your therapist to be able to contact a new mm -hmm. one, but that's what I would. So we've touched on then if what's holding somebody back from re from going back to therapy, the two different options. Now, what if the third is that, and this is sort of where I feel like I would fall, like because I only went to therapy, I've only gone to therapy one time during a crisis situation, so where I'm stuck is if I go back to therapy now outside of a crisis in a good place, but needing help still, 
can it put me back into crisis because I'm going to open stuff up that I didn't deal with and then I'm going to actually go backwards. So I like that question because I think a lot of people feel the same way. Yeah. And my answer, my fast answer is absolutely not. You will not go backwards. Okay. And the reason that I say that is because if you are rehashing things and having other things come up, that's a good thing. It, wait, I'm sorry. Pause. <laughs> what? So it doesn't, I didn't say it felt good. Okay. What? How is it good? Because the more that you know that that's something that you have to go back to and you have to figure out what it is about that that's creating your current problem because it's all linked together that's a good thing to be able to pinpoint like oh there it is okay you get that aha moment mm -hmm. which is what we actually call it which is hilarious to me like the epiphany, it, we just call it an aha moment. Right. Where your client's like, oh. Aha. Uh, uh -huh. um, so the more that you know about those things mm -hmm. and the more that you understand, it's, it's better for your long-term healing. Okay. And that long-term journey. Because we can't think about therapy as a crisis to crisis tool. Right. We have to think of therapy as more of an insurance policy. You want to go and make those plans while things are good. So you already have the tools that you need when things are bad. Yes. That's why we do it. Yeah. And that is not at all. I think what the lay perspective is on therapy. Like if you need therapy, you must be like, what's wrong? Right right now what's wrong because that's when you would see like a physical doctor right you're not gonna go and just be like just in case yeah but therapy is different because the brain is different and although we should be treating mental illness just the same as we would be treating ment or physical illness it, there are things that we can do in advance of crisis because no matter who you are or the mental state that you're in life happens and crisis happens. Yeah. Traumatic events happen to anybody at any time, anywhere. You can't always foresee those things happening. 99% of the time you can't. So those are the things that you go to therapy when you're feeling okay. Like you're not in crisis, but you need that extra support to learn those skills. So if and when things happen, because yeah. life is unpredictable, you understand how to process things. So therapy is the insurance policy. Yeah. I love it. It's brilliant. We really spilled the tea today. I know. I, know. I feel like I could ask you a million more questions, but I want to know what questions you guys have. Yes. For me, some questions. Yeah. I will spill some more tea. Yeah. If you have a question about the behind the scenes of therapy or anything else within the wellness industry or just being a human, we want to know. I do. I'm looking forward to it. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, I spilled. <laughs> <laughs>